thanks y'all for uh, for sharing your heart with us. Let's uh, let's pray as we continue. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you, thank you that Chelsea and Daniel have responded to your call, um, and in their obedience to you, not only did you use them, but you uh, showed them many things, things that they are now responsible to bring back and talk about to the church that many would consider to be a sleeping giant, that if we were to awake, would change the world. Father, we pray that those who've gone and those who've seen would continue to champion and cheerlead and call with all humility uh, your church to continue to arise and do the work that you've called us to do. We pray that you would be with us as we look into your word now, that you would speak to our hearts like only you can. My gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, uh, the honors of your name. We thank you. Uh, We listen for your voice. Would you allow there to be fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold in and through our lives for the glory of God in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week I was on Google uh, for the for the purposes of this message here, and I typed in uh, "How can I be?" and then Google auto filled in, and one of the top ones is "How can I be happy?" And so I said, "Okay, this is cool." Uh, I typed in "What is the secret to?" and then it auto filled in. It said, "A happy life." These are things that people are obviously searching for on Google. What does it mean for you? To be happy. What does a happy life look like for you? For different people, we might think it means something different. For Elijah, uh, recently what makes him happy is what's always made him happy, sweet stuff. But recently he's gotten into, you guys know, there's a Korean uh, snack called pepero. You guys know that? Anyone know pepero? It's a little stick, cracker stick that is kind of covered partly in chocolate uh, so that um, you you know, hold it, and it doesn't have chocolate on the handle, but when you eat it, you're eating a, a chocolate cracker, and he loves it. And so the other day, I don't know how he got it, but the other day uh, after uh, one of our meals, he wanted to eat a pepero, and so he said, Daddy, pepero, and I, trying to teach him that you can't always get what you want when you want it, I said, okay, Elijah, Daddy will give it to you, but wait, okay, wait, and I'll give it to you, because the lesson here is that We have to wait in order to appreciate a lot of times. We have to wait in order to really enjoy something. This is a life lesson here. I said, wait. And he couldn't, I mean, for a two-year-old to wait, it's very difficult. For a 15-year-old, it's difficult. For a 30-year-old, it's difficult. For a two-year-old, it's very hard. And so he was like bouncing his head on the sofa. And he was like, looked like he was an addict in withdrawal. He was like (laughs) taking his head and he was rubbing it against the the cushion. And he's like, pepero, pepero. And he couldn't take it any longer. And so he goes to his sister, Manny, and he hits her. And then she has this stuffed animal dog named Mung Mung that she loves so much. And he bit Mung Mung. This is what two-year-olds do when they can't get what they want, thing that's blocking their happiness. And so I said, oh, Elijah. And Manny came running, and she said, Daddy, Elijah hit me, and he bit Mung Mung. So I said, Elijah was over there. I said, Elijah, come say sorry to Manny. And he said, no. <laughs> so I said, okay, Elijah, no pepero for you. And then he came running to Manny, and he said, sorry, and then he looked at me. 
I said, Elijah, you don't hit Manny. And he said, so he hugs Manny. He says, I'm sorry, Manny. And then he hugs uh, Mung Mung. And then he says, all done. Pepero. <laughs> he thinks in his mind that a pepero stick is going to make him happy. And for different people, we have different ideas of what's going to make us happy. For Olivia, getting a night's sleep right, straight through the night would make her happy. For me, uh, when my favorite baseball team or football team wins, that would make me happy. For Manny, being able to be Elsa instead of Anna when she plays with her friends, that would make her happy. But for different people, there are different things that we think are going to make us happy, isn't there? Right? When we get older, it's things like, well, if I get a, have a good GPA, that'll make me happy. If I get into a good college, that'll make me happy. If I get a right job, that'll be happy. If I make lots of money, that'll be happy. If I have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, if I get married, that'll, that'll make me happy. But the problem with all of these things that we look for to find happiness in is that they are so short-lived and fleeting that as soon as we have it, the elusiveness of happiness will continue to rear its head and we'll be looking for the next thing. We all long for a happiness that's so much more than a momentary fleeting pleasure. As we continue, you see the old familiar slide again for the 31st time. We're going to look into what does it mean that this is all about Jesus? We're going to see that even the book of Psalms, the ancient songbook of the Old Testament saints is all about Jesus as well. And Psalm chapter 1 answers the question of happiness and tells us the secret, if you could even call it that, the secret to happiness. We're going to read uh, Psalm, uh, the first Psalm, uh, just six short verses, and then we're going to talk about what it means to find happiness. Psalm 1, this is God's word, says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers not so the wicked they're like chaff that the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish that's god's word as you know, Psalms are written a little bit differently from the rest of the Bible. If you look at any other book of the Bible, there's paragraphs, but Psalms are not like that. They're lines. It's, it's, it's poetry. Okay. Psalms are a form of Hebrew, are an expression of Hebrew poetry. And the way that, uh, to, to help understand what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm chapter 1, we have to understand a couple things. One, the first word in Psalm 1 is the word blessed. Okay. The last word in the book of Psalms is the word, in Psalm 1 is perish. So he's setting up this contrast to say there's two, there's a, uh, a night and day difference between the blessed and the perishing, between those who are truly blessed and those who are perishing. This is the first thing that he wants to show us. The second thing, the word blessed in Hebrew, some of you guys like uh, Biggie back there love ancient Hebrew. The word blessed 
in Hebrew is ashrei, okay, ashrei. The word for perishing, okay, the word for perishing is toved, okay. Ashrei, toved. Ashrei starts with the first letter, aleph, in the Hebrew alphabet. Toved starts with the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. He's saying as far apart as A to Z, this is a difference between the blessed and the perishing. So what he's doing in Psalm 1 is he's setting up a contrast between the blessed and the perishing. What does the blessed mean? In other places, when you read this, you might read in different versions, depending on what you're using. You might read, oh, how happy is the man who does not walk in the way of, uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or you may hear, how joyful, or oh, the joys of the man. When you think of the word blessed, we think of a lot of different things, but when the Hebrew poet is writing about blessedness he's talking about a state of happiness that is eternal and that pervades no matter what is going on in life the word blessedness means a deep-rooted lasting happiness that the world cannot take away that's what you and i long for isn't it saying you want to be that kind of a person you want to know what it is to be truly truly happy And he says, as you enter and open up the Hebrew Psalter, the songbook of the pilgrims of God, let me begin begin by telling you how you can be truly happy. The first thing that we're going to see here is that the world, okay, the world, the world of the perishing of the wicked, of those who are not living for God, the world and its systems, the world is opposed to the blessed life. The world is opposed to to the truly happy life. What is he saying here? There's a progression in verse 1. Blessed is a man who doesn't do this. Doesn't do what? Walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. As he opens up the book of Psalms, he's saying you've got two choices before you. Okay, a red pill and a blue pill. <laughs> Just kidding. He's got, you, you've got two choices. Okay, Robert Frost says, A, uh, you, you have two roads that... that, that I forget how it goes. Two roads in the woods and what you choose makes all the difference in the world. The blessed life and the perishing life. The truly happy life and the not truly happy life. And he says, which one are you going to choose? The not happy life, this is what it looks like. He says, there's a progression. The man who does not walk, okay, walk, 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 walk. This is active in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So you got this guy or you got this girl and she's walking along, walking along and she sees a bunch of people hanging out right they're hanging out at, at, at somewhere Publix or whatever they're, they're hanging out at Publix and that group of people calls them over and says well I'm just walking I'm going to my house they're like just come on over come on over and so you walk over to where they are and they're doing something and you're like hey that's kind of cool and you're sitting there observing what they're doing you're standing in their midst and as they're doing whatever it is that they're doing as they're engaged in their thing they say hey why don't you sit down you're making us feel nervous I said no 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 i don't i don't i don't mean to stay here very long i got to get going actually i got to go to my house i got to take care of things i got to cook dinner whatever it is I, and i've got to go home they're like no just sit just sit for a little bit a little bit and so you sit down and as soon as you know it minutes have become hours have become days At one point, you were walking, and then you stopped to stand, and then you decided that you were going to sit. What is he saying? Blessed is is this. It's a natural progression. We understand this in our minds. But he's talking about the compromising progression that the world lures us to indulge in. When it says, blessed is the man who does not walk 
in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked is the philosophies of the world that are opposed to the life of Christ. He says, that's everywhere in the world that we live in. He says, blessed are you if you don't walk in that kind of wisdom. You don't walk in that kind of counsel. You're even more blessed if you don't stop and stand there. And you're even more blessed if you don't sit in that. Because it goes from individual actions to a decision that you make that I want to live this way. And then you begin sitting in that place. It is a fixed attitude where not only are you doing these things, but it says sit in the seat of mockers. You're not only doing what is wrong, but you're mocking and making fun of those who do right. This kind of compromise can happen in individuals. It can happen in families. It can happen in churches. It can happen in denominations. Can we say that we know by experience that this can happen? When people walk in the actions of the unwise counsel, then they stand there and then they sit there. Not only do they indulge in these things, but they make fun of people who believe that the word of God is true. So let me back up and ask ourselves and ask you, As you long for happiness, as you long for an eternal, long-lasting happiness, what kind of thoughts are you allowing to seep into your mind? Because what the psalmist says is the advice that goes into your mind is going to translate into action, and that action is going to translate into an attitude and a posture of our lives. And we've got to be very careful about what we're letting feed our mind. You guys probably know that when we go to Ecuador, as we've gone the last three years, we've got a guy in our team who is a celebrity in Ecuador. His name is Alex. And it started out, he was just a local celebrity in this, this town called El Chaco, where every, every uh, teeny bopper in the town wanted to take a picture with Alex. We thought, well, maybe the people of El Chaco are just a little bit different. But I realized this year that when we got down to Lombaki, that he had become a national superstar. Like young teenage girls from all over Lumbaki wanted to take pictures with him also. This is what our team was telling me. So, I, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of annoying being on a team with Alex because you're, like, you're kind of traveling around with Justin Bieber or something like that. You're like, everywhere you go, people are like, oh, un foto, por favor, and all these things. So here we are. I said, in order to minimize distress, guys, focus. We've got to focus. We're here to talk about Jesus. Come on, Focus. In order for this to happen, we need to have bodyguards. So I got the biggest guys on the team, guys like Biggie. He's the biggest one. Everyone else is kind of puny, but <laughs> we got guys like Joseph Kim and Daniel Chang, and, yeah, they're, they, they can play the part. So he said, you guys got to be bodyguards for Alex. Just walk around and don't let anyone get within a five-foot radius of Alex. Okay, just keep them away because there are all kinds of distractions. Can I propose and submit to you? that we need to have bodyguards for our minds as well. We need to be discriminatory about what we're letting go into our minds. The last five movies that you've watched, what kind of worldview have they been propagating in your life? What kind, how has that led to the sanctification process in your life? The music that you listen to, the TV shows that you watch, so we have a, a sister in our youth ministry named Lucy. And so a couple weeks back, as she was walking through the, uh, the receiving line, I said, Lucy, have you seen Lucy? That's the name of a movie. And she said, no, because it's rated R. I said, ah, that's the right answer. I didn't know that it was rated R, but 
Rated R means that this is restricted for children under the age of 17 without parental guidance. If you got this movie, usually the MPAA, Motion Picture Association of America, says this movie is rated R because of high levels of foul language, sexuality, violence, whatever else it might be. And it's saying here, if you want to watch something with graphic amounts of that, then you've got to be watching it with your parent. Is that awkward? Watching a sex scene with your mom and dad next to you? Can I, again, propose something to you? Something that has nothing to do with the MPAA? What about if you were to watch that with Jesus next to you? And how comfortable would that be? I don't watch a lot of movies these days, partly because it's just hard to get out there, but because I know it pollutes my heart and it pollutes my mind. Right? There's so many things that, that, that these movies show and, and talk about and the words that, that, that I hear that just, it doesn't help me to love Jesus more. And I don't know why I can't have that. I can't have that in my life, in my heart. And what about for you? What are the movies that you have been watching, the TV shows? I know popular shows, uh, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad. And we watch these shows, but we not only watch them, but we glorify them by telling other people how great these shows are. A kingdom culture has to be different, guys. It's got to be different from the way the world lives. The world, yeah, they may do that. But citizens of the kingdom, it shouldn't be like that with us. I remember some, uh, some sisters, some Christian sisters, glorifying on Facebook this movie that was all about sensuality. And it was not just like it's a movie, there's a plot, but then there's some sexuality in it. It was all about sensuality. And they're posting that saying, ha, 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 I can't wait to watch this. And I thought to myself, is that the way it ought to be for children of God? That it shouldn't be that way. What about the music that we listen to? If you think this doesn't affect you, let Give me an hour with you. Bring your iPad, bring your iPod, your, your music that you listen to. Bring a list of the last five movies and the TV shows that you watch. Bring a list of your internet history and sit down. Just give me an hour and I'll tell you exactly how these things are affecting your life. Your view of yourself, your view of other people, your view of happiness, your view of God. Your view of your goals in life, dreams, and all the things that you value in life. I think it's for that reason that, man, I was so proud of one of our brothers, Joseph Kim. He came back from Ecuador, and, and he deleted all of this secular music from his iPod because he said, I don't, if there's something I want to meditate on, I want to meditate on worship of God. And he's made this decision to, to let these things go. He says, I don't want to be distracted. And, yeah, we've got a lot of other distractions, but this is a step in the right direction. Because the world and all of its teachings, you've got to understand, is fiercely opposed to the life of Jesus Christ within us. And if, if we're not going to teach Bible, and this is kind of an aside, but if we're not going to teach Bible's views about violence, about people, about self-image, about sexuality, then the world is going to do it. Right? We might think, I'm not ready to talk about that with my kids. Hey, the world is ready, and they're talking to us. They're talking to your kids. They're talking to them at 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old about what sensuality is about what's right and what's wrong and about morals. And if we don't do that, then they're going to do it and they're going to win the day because the world is opposed to the life of Jesus Christ. It's opposed to the life of happiness and blessedness that the Bible's talking about. Okay, blessed is the one who doesn't 
walk in the ways of the world. That's the first thing. The second thing, the blessed life is built on God's word. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay, blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If someone were to tell you, I've got the secret, the scientifically proven secret to happiness, wouldn't you listen to what they had to say? Because it's something that we long for. There's a, a magazine called uh, INC, Inc. Magazine. It's a magazine for helping small businesses to grow. And in that magazine, it, it did the scientific study. It, it, it uh, recounted the results of a scientific study uh, that shows these are things that you can do to release pleasure-giving endorphins in your life. So it said things like exercise every day. They said there's a magic number. If you exercise at least seven minutes a day, it releases the proper endorphins. Suman's like, yes, I do eight minutes. It's great. But if you do seven minutes a day of exercise, it releases endorphins that cause happiness in your life. Okay. If you sleep a little bit more than you do, some of you guys shouldn't do this, but if you sleep a little bit more than you already do, right, it says this will release happy endorphins in your life. Um, help other people out. Okay, help others out. They said this is the magic number. A 100 hours, 100 hours a year is the magic number right, for you to be happy when you help other people out. Um, go outside. Again, scientific studies say that the happiest people, you're happiest at 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Right? This is what the magazine said. And all of these different things. There are seven things. I don't remember what the rest of them are. But if someone told you these things, then what would you do? You'd probably take a picture of that. you probably, if you could, you'd find a place where it's 57 degrees and you would migrate there and you would be there because you long for happiness. This is what science says, you say. My mom, she's always learning, reading things from like Korean newspapers. She's always sending me an email with a link to this like massive long article. And at the end of the day, it just says, if you eat a banana first thing in the morning, you'll be happy. So she's like, oh, you know, read this article, science and, you know, this medicine and good stuff and, and eat a banana once a day. And so I eat a banana once a day, try to be happy. And she'll send another thing to drink eight ounces of water, like first thing in the morning, and it will like flush out your system and, and make you happy. And because she says it's supposed to make me happy, I do it. But what if God Almighty, the author of life, told us, I know the secret to happiness, and I'm going to make it known to everybody. Would you not want to do it? He's telling us this is how. Blessed are you if you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't stand in the way of sinners. You don't sit in the seat of mockers, but your delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates day and night. If you're longing for happiness in life, let me ask you four questions that I think will make all the difference in the world. First question, as you long for happiness, okay, everyone from sixth grade up until whoever, however old you are, as you long for lasting happiness, your first question, do you read the word of God? 
And if you don't, then you could stop everything right now, write a note to yourself, say, read the Word of God when I go home every day, and you can leave right now. That's it. That's it. You can't be happy. You can't be truly blessed. You can't have a lasting happiness if you're not in the Word of God. You know, this believer from Africa spent a few months in in America, and when he was leaving, uh, one of my professors, Richard Pratt, said to him, hey, what is your assessment of the church in America? And the, the one thing he said, he said, I wonder one thing. He says, why are they so unhappy? Could it be that it's because we have become accustomed to hearing the Word of God rather than reading the Word of God? That's end of seminar. That's it. How to grow, 101. How to be happy, 101. First thing, get in the Word of God. That's it. Second question, if you're doing that, you're still not happy. Here's here's the next question. Are you meditating on the Word of God? And not just reading it because my accountability group says I have to read it. Not just reading it in order that I can check it off my list. Not just reading it so I can feel good about myself. But are you met? Like, do you remember what you read yesterday? Meditating. Do you remember what you read this morning? If you meditate on it, this morning be Psalm 27. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon His beauty all the days of my life. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Meditating on the word of God so that inevitably there'll be somebody that I talk to today or tomorrow who says, you know what? I'm tired of, 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 of God not answering my prayers. I'm tired of waiting on the Lord. And I say, God's word says, wait on the Lord. He knows that sometimes he's gonna, you're going to have to wait. But be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You meditate on the word of the Lord. Meditate on it. Do you know it here? Do you know it here? Do you know the Word of God? The third question. Do you delight in the Word of God? Like, do you like, like, I, like man, I love, do you, do you feel like, I love reading the Word of God. I used to say, one of my favorite preachers, this is not good to say, I don't think, but, and I wrote in my Bible, I used to say, I get high off the Word of God. It's like ah, it's like Elijah went with with Pepero is me like the Word of God. Oh, I love reading the Word of God. I don't get. I rub my head against the sofa and I'm like, I need it. You delight in the Word of God. You know the reason why a lot of us don't delight in the Word of God because we don't delight in the God of the Word. Because if you delight in someone. You're going to delight in their words. Sometimes I come home from meetings. I come home from, it's my vocation, but it's not really work. But I come home from my stuff, and Manny's like, Daddy, I wrote you a letter. <laughs> so she gives me this letter. It's not really a letter. It's maybe like a couple words. It says, I love Daddy, Manny. And her letters are, she's not really good. Her, she, she's sorry, sorry, her D's look like B's, and her B's look like D's, and her Q's look like P's, and her P's look like Q's. And, you know, we used to write when we were little. We used to write letters, and we'd write if it's messy, pardon, poor penmanship, or sorry, so sloppy. She's like poor penmanship, sloppy all around, and 
smudges all over and stickers that have nothing. It's like, I love you, Daddy. It's got an incredible Hulk sticker on it. But I delight in that letter. Why? Because I delight in her. Conversely, some of the reasons why we don't delight in God in worship is because we don't delight in His Word. There is an intimate connection between the Word and worship. That's why Jesus says you must worship in spirit and in truth. John, all throughout John's Gospel, truth means the Word of God. When you can't worship, it's usually because we're lacking the Word of God in our lives. Fourth question, do you meditate day and night? What does that mean, day and night? It means from A to Z, not just A and Z, not just day and night, but all throughout. Because it, it takes discipline to do anything day and night. It takes discipline to do anything day and night. He's saying, are you disciplined in your lifestyle? Maybe for, I, I know a lot of us during Lent, you, you, you read the Word of God regularly. You were disciplined in that lifestyle. Maybe the rest of the year, you ought to live a disciplined lifestyle of being in the Word of God. First thing when you wake up, before you grab your phone, before you grab your banana, before you grab your eight ounce of water, you grab your Word, the Word of God, and you read it. And to me, there's nothing, I, and I said this before, this sounds silly, but I, nothing better than the sound of Bible pages turning. So delightful. Beautiful. Ah, so good. Do you meditate on it day and night? Hey, disciplining yourself to be in the Word of God. The reason we have to discipline ourselves is because it's not natural for us to think and, and to love the Word of God. It's natural. For, you get cut off as you're driving. Your natural inclination is not, oh, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I'll let him do it again. And when someone gossips about us, our natural inclination not to think, oh, I need to forgive those who are my enemies. That's not our natural impulse. Our natural impulse is to say, become defensive and say, oh, yeah, you know what, you, yada, yada, yada. Or to say, I'm going to go back and I'm going to chase them. You think just because I've got a camera, I can't pass you. You pass them and you cut them off. Because naturally, we go the way of the world. That's why day and night we have to discipline our minds and our hearts to think the thoughts of God's Word. Right, there's a guy, it says, who is being tempted to walk in the counsel of the wicked, to stand in the way of sinners, to sit in the seat of mockers, but he doesn't. Why? Saying the only way that we will not delight in the world is if we find our delight in the Word. Right, D.L. Moody once said that sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. The blessed life begins with the Word of God. It's built on the Word of God. Get into it. Read it. Love it. Live it. Last thing then. The blessed life is both a present and a future reality. Present and future reality. Such a person, verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. We long for a happiness and a blessedness that is so much more than circumstantial. Right? That's what I want. That's what you want. That's what, we, that's what the world wants. It longs for that. And he's saying here we understand that the blessed life of Christ that he talks about 
is both a present reality as we delight in the Word of God, but it is a future reality as well. He says the wicked are like chaff. It's like the airy stuff that comes off of wheat. It's blown away. Good for nothing. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Like Daniel saying, a vapor in the wind. Like the book of John sa- James says, like the song, I am a, a flower quickly fading. Here today and gone tomorrow. Wave tossed in the ocean. A vapor in the wind. That's what he's saying. That's what the happiness of the world is also. It's fleeting. It's here today and it's gone. He's saying the blessedness of the child of God. The true blessed one. You know, this is why NBA, the, the goal of an NBA, of any sports team franchise, is not just to win, to build a team that can win a championship. That's short-sighted. The goal of a franchise is to build a team that can win championships. That's why even if you're a diehard fan of any other team in the NBA, you've got to give your props to the San Antonio Spurs. Why? Because they build a team to last. To not just win one year, but to consistently be good, to consistently be championship contenders. That's what they do. And he's saying, this is who you can be as well. He likens you to a tree, right? Firmly planted by streams of water in the, in the Middle East. Right? Because droughts would come, you would see trees lined up along the way with no fruit on them, bare and dead. In the right season, when the rains would come, they would, uh, they would, they would sprout uh, fruit again. But along the way, you would see some trees that are lush and green all the time. Why? In the midst of a desert land, all these dead trees, there's a tree that's flourishing. Why? Because it's planted by streams of water. Constantly. I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not a tree lover. But I have been in awe of trees at times. And the two kinds of trees, not types of trees. <laughs> Some of you can name t- ten types of trees. Others of you can't. This was a running joke in Ecuador. But um, two types of trees that I know that are beautiful. Strong trees and fruitful trees. <laughs> and that's it. Trees that I look at and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a God. Are these massive trees? I remember... Um, looking at my friend Zanga page many years ago. Remember, Zanga was the precursor to MySpace, which was a precursor to Facebook. Um, but there was a Zanga page, and it had these uh, friends from Virginia. They went to, uh, they took some pictures and they posted trees of them hugging trees in some place out west. And they were hugging the tree, and their arms barely reached around. Their arms, they, they connected arms, and they, two of them barely reached one fifth of that tree. I was like, my. Goodness, that is amazing. Beautiful, just soaring up into the air. Strong trees. Right? This is what he says, you will be a tree planted by streams of water. Right? You won't be blown away. The other tree is a fruitful tree. Those are beautiful. And I, I know that blueberries don't grow on trees, they grow on bushes, but blueberry trees, so wonderful that they can feed so many people. There's a blueberry farm right near my, my house, and there used to be an orange grove right in front of our house, and and uh, Olivia's cousin one night went. She said, I'll be right back. And she came back with a bag full of oranges that she had stolen from the orange grove. I was like, what are you doing as we're eating them and enjoying them? <laughs> Don't do that ever again. <laughs> but trees that, that are beautiful are, are big and strong, and they're also fruitful. And the secret to both of these things is their roots. The stronger the tree, the deeper the roots. 
Not only that, but you see a fruitful tree? The fruit is always determined by the root. And the beauty of roots is that you cannot see them. The secret to any thriving, life-giving tree is a system of roots that you cannot see below the surface. Here's how we say it here. The secret to life is your life in secret. It's not what you do here when everyone's looking. You don't meditate really here, but what do you do when no one's looking? That's where your roots go deep and deep and deep. This is where cultivation of fruit happens. And it's when you're reading the Word of God in secret, when you're praying in secret, no one's watching what you do. The true test of how deep a root system is is what happens when the storms of life come. You know you got roots. What happens when the storms in the ultimate storm, verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Saying the wicked won't stand in judgment, but only uh, the righteous will. But how do we know that we're going to stand? Because if you remember Romans 3, it says there's no one righteous. Not even one. And who can truly stand? Who can really be blessed? Who can truly be happy? Tell you what, for the 31st time, I want to remind you that everything is all about Jesus. Because when you look in the New Testament, how does Jesus treat the Psalms? Whenever he reads it, his hermeneutical principle is that he quotes the Psalms and he says, this is about me. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other Psalms, he sings amongst the congregation. The book of Hebrews says that. This is how you understand Psalms. The way Jesus saw it and the way we need to see it is that every Psalm, while it applies to us first, was sung by Jesus. And it was first sung about Jesus. Jesus is the man that Ish of Psalm chapter 1. He's the one who delighted in the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. He's the one who got it so into him, so into him, that in his storms of life, in his testing, he says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In his moment of testing, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was the man, the word of God, so in him that when it was squeezed by pressures and trials and temptations, it was the word of God that came out. He's the man of Psalm 1, the truly blessed one. He's the one, the only one who was righteous. You and I are the ones who should perish because of our wickedness. But it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that Jesus Christ, though he knew no sin, 
he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How can we be blessed? How can we be happy? It's only through Jesus Christ. It's only by knowing him. It's only that as we read the word of God, we see Jesus. He used to sing this song. Happiness is know the Savior. Living a life that's in his favor. Having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. It's truth. It's the only way we'll be happy. It's only because of Jesus. Let's uh, respond to the word of the Lord. Maybe uh, some of us, we feel like, I really need to be in the word of God. I've been seeking happiness and I found it, but it's been fleeting. And I've been chasing after something that has been so elusive in my life. Happiness comes in Jesus and it is propagated to us through the word of God. Can Can you say that your life is enduringly happy? Can you say that your life is enduringly happy? We need uh, the Word of God in our lives. Maybe for you, uh, you're, uh, one, of two, one of two ways that you can respond here is just confess to the Lord God, I need you. Forgive me, Lord, for the ways in which I've allowed my mind to slowly compromise and to be filled with worldly teachings. Cleanse me and wash me from that. And maybe others of us, our commitment, our prayer will be, Lord God, help me in order that this week, and I will make a commitment, 8 o'clock every morning, 7 o'clock every morning, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to set an alarm on my phone, 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock at night, that I'm going to be in your word, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to delight in it. Maybe at 3 o'clock during the day, alarm's going to go off, and I'm going to think back to what I read this morning, and I'm going to pray to you. We cannot be blessed, cannot be truly happy apart from the Word of God and seeing Christ in it. Let's pray, let's commit, let's surrender, let's repent and ask the Lord God that He would change us so that we could live a life of true blessedness. Let's pray together for a moment. this table of God's grace to us. God's grace says that you will be blessed regardless of your performance simply because of what Christ has done for you. That God looks at you and sees if you're a child of God the righteousness of Christ in you. But it is that forgiveness that has already been secured at Calvary that causes us to move to repentance. That causes us to say in light of such love, in light of grace, in light of mercy, I surrender 
the things that would dishonor you. Let's pray and, and just give to the Lord God the things in our lives, the use of our speech, the use of our time, the use of our, our, of our treasures that have kept us from really honoring the Lord and all that we are and do. Let's confess that to the Lord and, and just say, God, I need you. I need you more than I need these things, more than I need anything else. I need you. So let's pray and, and just confess these things to the Lord God and then we'll continue as we come to the table of grace. so much that you have given us everything that we need for life and joy and eternal blessedness. Given us everything we need for health and peace and temporal happiness as well. But as it was in the Garden of Eden, we turn away from those things that you offer to us because we want what the world has. And for that, we ask that you would have mercy on us and that you would wash us cleanse our conscience washing us in the blood that has been shed for us in order that we can know your love we can know the true blessedness that comes from you shape us and mold us from the inside out we pray in Jesus name amen